Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Volkswagen Driving Day Special Edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. Ah, so you went on a day to drive mm-hmm. some, let me guess, Volkswagen. How did you guess? <sighs> Call me That's psychic. That's incredible. <laughs> Next week, it will be the National Lottery. <laughs> Okay, then. Once we uh, wade past our pools of sarcasm and cynicism and all the rest of it. So go on then. Tell us about what was what's the makeup of one of these driving days with Volkswagen? It is an, an automotive event where automotive journalists are involved. So it is mostly an all-you-can-eat buffet, <laughs> punctuated occasionally by driving cars. But seriously, they uh, held such a few days' worth of event down around about... Brackley Bista Way uh, at a, a nice sort of events place uh, near Einho. And they had a selection of current, well, yes, current Volkswagen cars to try. The reason for my hesitation there is they also had a very early 1980s Volkswagen Passat there as well, which some people were trying, people who like sort of slightly crappy older cars. But the real reason for this wasn't just to let us all go all... all all go crazy with with VWs. Really, it was to introduce the latest version of the Passat, the what's termed the B eight point five. So B being the um, kind of chassis style, chassis code, and eight point five being the generation. Okay, it was a chance to try those out. Now, this was the first; these days were the first chance that anyone had to drive the Passat in the UK. Okay, okay. So up until this point, it'd only been the international launch. Uh, this was instead of a UK launch, plus a chance for, as I say, for people to have a shotty of some other recent Volkswagens if they hadn't had one. Cool. And to drink coffee, eat biscuits, have lunch, all that kind of stuff. Excellent. So I managed two, three, four, four, five cars in the day. Any of them a Passat? There were two Passats. Hey! <laughs> there were two Passats. I drove an Alltrack and a GT. And then I drove a Touareg, a T-Cross, and a... Volkswagen and a, and a Golf. And a Volkswagen. Kind of <laughs> says that. Just quickly, before we get started on the cars and some of the rest of it, there was, of course, a pre-lunch press conference. Uh, so a quick chat through some numbers. And I think that, that we love the nerd numbers here on Motoring Podcast, so it's worth repeating some of those. Worth mentioning it so far, Volkswagen's a brand sold 3 million cars in the first half of 2019. Okay. And half of those were in China. Wow. Okay. The group as a whole, now the group includes Volkswagen cars, Audi, Skoda, Seat, Bentley, Lamborghini, Bugatti, Ducati, Man Trucks, Scania Trucks, Porsche, uh, and VW Commercial. They have sold about 5.5 million vehicles in the first half of 2019. So they're on track for about the same number of vehicles globally. These numbers, by the way, are globally. (laughs) Globally for 2019 as 2018, that's looking at around 11 million vehicles. That's a fair amount. So that's quite impressive. That's going to be 11 million for the group and 6 million of those. So a little over half for those of you who are hard of arithmetic. Uh, are going to be Volkswagen branded. Mm-hmm. In the UK, Volkswagen's about 9% market share, so holding about the same as last year. And the one last little bit to chat about is that in the future, Volkswagen are going to have two completely different platform ranges. So they're going to have one platform range that is the one that we're familiar with, that sort of Lupo, uh, not Lupo, did I say Lupo? 
I didn't mean Lupo. I mean up, up Polo Golf, Passat, etc. Mm-hmm. for internal combustion engines and possibly plug-in hybrids, and a separate set of chassis and platforms for EVs. So, uh, so the ID range essentially starting off with the ID three stuff like the E Golf and the E Up. Yorkshire's favourite car. Yes. <laughs> Will, you can't say it without then, at no. least I didn't try a Yorkshire accent, will go. So they're a bit of an anomaly rate at the moment. Anyway, I just wanted to, to cover some of those because, as I say, I think it's the kind of stuff that's generally interesting because I find I like those mm. numbers. But before we go on and we start on the drives of the cars, rather than me regurgitating the all the press stuff about the, the new Passat, I managed to drag in a genuine PR person who was prepared to have a chat. Let's start off with the first part of my interview. That seems awfully formal. Conversation. Conversation. That's right. With Volkswagen's Tom Lynch. So I'm joined by Tom Lynch from Volkswagen UK. I'm at the... Uh, the UK is the mini launch of the Passat, first chance uh, that people have had to drive it here in the UK. And um, Tom, thanks for taking the time out to have a chat. No problem at all. I wanted to start off by just asking about the Passat, because for quite a long time, we, we always sort of forget about it when we're, when we're talking about Volkswagens. We always think of golfs and people like me tend to think of the up. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. And Passat's been sort of sitting there in the corner for a little mm. while. So how important is the Passat to, to Volkswagen? It's it's really, really important. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned cars like the Golf ahead of the Passat. But actually, the Passat is the longest continuously running nameplate in the Volkswagen range. So the Passat actually launched in 1973. Uh, we've been producing it ever since. Uh, but the Golf didn't actually launch until the year after. So the Passat is the best-selling mid-size uh, vehicle in the world mm-hmm. and we've produced over 30 million of them now I think that was earlier this year the 30 millionth car was produced actually for the international launch it was a, a GT estate uh, which remains on the German press fleet so it's a really important car to us and clearly you know it's been very important to the success of the brand today and this is the Mark saying earlier on it was the Mark 8.5 which seems strangely specific but... that's correct yes so we're uh, the Mark 8 came out in uh, 2014 um, this is what we call the enhanced percent, or the facelift in sort of more layman's terms. And yeah, internally it's referred to as the 8.5, mm-hmm. much like the Golf. We've had the Mark 7, we're on a facelift at 7.5, and in Golf's terms, the 8 will, will follow as the next one. So yeah, that's where we're at with percent now. You used the word facelift, I'm glad it wasn't me. There's quite a few changes under the skin and to the, yep. the drivetrains and stuff, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the design, you know, it's quite subtle stuff. It's bumpers, it's grills, it's lights. But as you say, the, the big changes are under the skin of the new Passat, and it's mainly about all the new technology. Mm-hmm. So the a lot of stuff actually on the Passat is the first time it's been seen on a Volkswagen passenger car. So a lot right. of new technology has debuted with this new enhanced Passat. So things like the new travel assist, the latest version of the adaptive cruise control. Mm-hmm. Um, we've introduced a new engine on the Passat. All these things have come out on the new Passat. So while it might not look on the outside like a massive revolution, it really is technology revolution under the skin. Yeah. It's that, that's sort of, that's a quiet change. Um, I was out, I'm just back actually from being out for a drive in the new GTE, mm-hmm. which uh, it has quite a few changes over the old one, which was really very popular on, on fleets and, yes. and sales, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think on the previous Passat, one in 10 sales were for the GT model mm-hmm. and they were very popular with fleet buyers, etc. Uh, whereas this new variant, we expect to see one in four sales 
will be for the GTE. So we've increased our mix. There's, there's more model availability. And we've drastically improved the GTE. So it's got a larger battery now. So the, uh, the electric only ranges up. I think it was about 31 miles on the previous car. It's up to 43 miles, which is the old NEDC figures. Yeah. So that equates to 34 miles on the new WLTP cycle, which we think for a lot of customers will be sufficient to get them to and back to and from work rather mm-hmm. on a purely electric. And also we do see, I think, across the industry, you know, where some people are, are nervous to go buy a battery electric vehicle because of range anxiety. By buying a plug-in hybrid, they soon realize that even just that 34-mile range is actually sufficient for a lot of stuff they want to do. And quite often find that after a plug-in hybrid, a lot more people will seriously consider a battery electric mm-hmm. vehicle. It's that stepping stone, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can learn a lot about... EV motoring from running something like a Passat GTE. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's not got a massive battery and you can charge it from empty to full on just a three-pin socket in about five hours. But bad. if you take it to a wall charge, I think it's 3.6 kilowatt, it's down to three and a half hours for a fully charged. But it's got all the things you'd expect to find on electric on a purely electric vehicle, such as the, the regen braking. So you mm-hmm. can configure the Passat and the settings to increase or decrease that regenerative effect so that when you come off the accelerator, you get that braking as it drags the brakes to draw more energy into the battery. I confess I may have been having a play with that. Yeah. On some of the hills <laughs> it is quite addictive, just... isn't it? You start to not want to use the brake pedal and just oh, yeah. use the regen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you, you do it. And of course, naturally you've got, you know, you, you have to have the little display that shows where the energy is coming Absolutely. from. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the, the nice thing about the Passat is that actually on electric only, you can still get up to eight, seven miles an hour. So it's a very useful mm-hmm. EV only mode. But, of course, the benefit really is in combining the hybrid with the 1.4 TSI inside. And what you can also do with the Passat is it's, it's intelligent enough through the, through the modes, through the sat-nav information, that if, you, if it knows, for example, that your end destination is in a, a densely populated area, say central London, for mm-hmm. example, it can make sure it saves some of that battery for when you get into that area, and then it will start using the E-mode or the electric-only mode rather than sort of waste it earlier in the journey. Yeah, so, so, you know, if you're conscious about local pollution and, in, the, in urban areas, you can reserve battery for, for that part of your journey. Use the right type of propulsion for the Absolutely. right type of place. Yeah. Talk about the GTE, but there's also a new, dare I say, a diesel engine as well. There is. I think it's important to say, I mentioned earlier, the GTE will account for 25% of Passat sales. We still predict that 47% of sales will be a diesel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, the best-selling variant we expect to be this new diesel. So it's um, it's a new 2-litre, 4 cylinder engine, 150 horsepower, and it's the first time for a Volkswagen brand that we've had cylinder deactivation on a diesel. So we call it Evo, but it's our active cylinder technology, which means under certain low load conditions, it can shut down two cylinders and just run on the remaining two. We've also introduced a new technology called twin dosing, which uses the AdBlue and a new way of injecting it into the um, catalytic converters to reduce NOx emissions by 80% mm-hmm. over the predecessor engine. So it's a lot, lot cleaner than before and lots of new technology that we haven't seen on, on diesel engines yet mm-hmm. I haven't driven that one I have driven the, the other one I've driven is the old track as well today, yes which was in the beautiful green colour it is it's fantastic <laughs> bottle green isn't yeah, it and yeah and the sun it really pops today as well it, it really looked, lucky yeah it looked great so I'll be sure that anybody who's listening to this from a podcast player I, I will have the pictures up on the site yeah. at some point because it, it does look fantastic Tom whilst you're here electric vehicles and the new platform and the ID3 are all Yep. Coming over the hill, charging towards us, if you'll excuse the unintentional pun. Let's not start with those. Yeah. Sorry. That, really, that was genuinely That'll, that'll spark some anger. Yeah. Oh, God, no. no. no, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. That was genuinely unintentional. But yeah, you were telling us about 
earlier on about some of the lessons from from IDR yeah. and the Nürburgring record and that kind of thing. I think it's I think it's important that people realise that there is traceability between mm. projects like that, which people could say, oh, well, it's just you know, it's, it's just PR, yeah. um, it's just marketing. What's the relationship between that and, and the real yeah. world? And you were actually pointing out some of those. Yeah, so I've been quite fortunate since starting the job that I've, I've followed the IDR to the Nürburgring and to Festival Speed this year, and most recently mm. to China. Um, where it's obviously been setting lots of records, the electric record at the Nürburgring, the outright course record at the Festival of Speed, and we've set a, a benchmark record on the Tiananmen Mountain in China. And having spent time with the team and listened to them in many interviews, you really do start to understand the significance of this project on the rest of the range and what will filter down to the ID cards. So, for example, you know we alter the battery with the IDR depending on what it's taking on, what's the distance, how much charge does it need, you know, because what we're trying to do is extract as much as possible from as little as possible. Yeah. You know, we want it to be as lightweight as possible, have all the battery we need and nothing more, but still extract maximum performance and obviously want to charge it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Those are directly related and important to road cuts. We want exactly the same things. We want to get as much as we can out of as little as we can and charge it as fast as we can. So those principles directly affect the work and the research that goes into our into our road cars. Um, and of course, you know, it is a it is a marketing exercise in some respects and it's it's a halo for the brand and it's a, it's showing people what electric cars can do. You take how many years of F1 development have we had? The IDR is now in its second year of the project and look at what it's achieved already. Mm-hmm. And we're at the start of this journey. If we think ten years in the future, who knows where we'll be with how small the batteries will be, what the ranges will be by then. So yeah, the IDR teaches us an awful lot about electric vehicles and the performance that we can we can take from those lessons and introduce into our road cars. That's the same with lots of electric sort of motorsport hmm. uh, type stuff. So yeah, it's the same with motorsport generally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think from from memory, a lot of the the cylinder deactivation stuff that some other brands have had, you know, larger engines has come from F one. Hmm. You know, so it's always true that things that get developed in motorsport, where the big budgets are do filter down and find their ways onto, onto road cars. Yeah. yeah. And congratulations, by the way, on, on being brave enough to drink some of the glycerin from the <laughs> Yeah, I had had it been drunk before, so I thought, I'm not going out on a total limb here. I have heard people have drunk, and they haven't disappeared off the face of the earth since. That is another thing, you know, obviously with our past and with the with the diesel emissions, it's, it's important that we do things right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the first manufacturer to sign up to the um, Paris Climate Agreement, so by 2050 we'll be a carbon-neutral company. Of course, the ID3 and cars that are very important in helping us achieve that. So it's very important that projects like the IDR, we do things right. So I think, I can't remember who it was now, but someone at Goodwood mistakenly thought we were charging the car off great big diesel generators. Yeah. And we weren't. It's a, it's a, it's a special fuel we use. It's glycerol. It's the fuel comes from glycerin. It's a byproduct of biodiesel and it burns very, very cleanly with very few emissions. And we use adapted diesel generators that run on this stuff. And the beauty of this stuff is it's so clean that as a raw fuel, you can drink it. So yeah, when we're out in China, we had someone, I, I did just that. I drank some and shared it on my yeah, Twitter. Formula E do exactly the same. Yes. It's the same setup so that they're not uh, putting a draw on local Exactly. Uh, it's exactly the same technology same that we thing. use. And, and glycerin is, it's the base for cough medicine. So we've actually all drunk it. Yep. Just not Not raw. neat. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it was like sort of super strong cowpole. Adult cowpaw is kind of how to describe it. It actually know? sounds quite attractive when you put it, it like that. It wasn't awful, is how I put it. I, I would not say I'd like to drink it regularly, but I wouldn't mind trying it again. Okay. It's just you wouldn't form a diet. No, I, I no. certainly wouldn't, no. <laughs> and please don't, you know, go drinking lots of it at home if you have some. <laughs> that would be silly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, Alan, we just heard you and Tom have your conversation. Let's move on to the cars now. What did you start out with? I started out with a Passat, funnily on enough. On the Passat day. Um, me being me. <laughs> yes, on the Passat day. That's just unusual. Well, me being me, I was there nice and early. Mm-hmm. So I took advantage of the best colored car that was that was sitting there and, and waiting. And the one that I thought was going to end up with lots and lots and lots of demand. So I thought I'd get in nice and early. So I took out the all track. Okay. So the all track is the essentially the jacked up estate with cladding. Mm, looks rather smart. You don't sound enthused. No, no, it looks rather smart. It is. It's great. And, and the one I'm just waiting for you to get to the color because the color's superb. <laughs> yes. Well, it's bottle green. It's called, and it is absolutely wonderful. It is such a nice kind of green with a hint of blue. It's not too dark. It's not too light. It is. It is the sort of the Goldilocks of that sort of greeny, bluey colour. And it just looked great. Wouldn't matter what car it was on, it would still have looked brilliant. As I say, old track uh, only comes with one drivetrain. It's a two-litre TDI with four motion, or four-wheel drive, 190 brake, metric brake, and a seven-speed DSG. Okay. It's kind of what you'd expect, really. It's, it's a large estate car. It has a massive boot, which has curry hooks, which has 12-volt socket. It has foldy rear seats. It, it does not handle like like it's going to get a new ring lap time, although I'm okay. sure there will be some form of ring lap time class 4 jacked-up estate Soon. with diesel engine and uh, DSG. But it was just a really nice way to get around. And it's one of those cars where you, you get in it and you think, well, there's going to be no point in hammering this then. So you just go into chauffeur mode. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's delightful. It, th- this one had, this one was a press car. So this one had many options. But this one had the <laughs> dynamic chassis control, which let me switch between normal sport, comfort, off road, and a customizable mode. In that here's your chance to muck it all up, uh, which is 895 <laughs> yes. squid. To be honest, normal was just fine. Shove it normal, just leave it. Yeah. So who's who's this car aimed at? I have think? no idea. Uh, Subaru drivers. Yeah, I was going to say, is it is it the old uh, people coming to the end of their legacy and perhaps? I don't know. I think I I say Subaru drivers. I don't really mean Subaru drivers. I actually mean Volvo drivers. Okay. I think that's the way you're going, and it's people who don't want. I think. I think quite a lot of them are going to end up as tow cars. Okay, right, yeah. I think it's people who don't really necessarily want or feel the need for an SUV, but want that that towingness. I think that's far more important to people okay. than um, than anything else. I mean, it's not. I forget if I remember to put the to move the, the put the price here. I don't think I did. It's not particularly cheap, and. As always with German cars, there are many, many add-ons. I mean, this is not going to be a big selling part of the range. No, let's let's be let's be honest here. But it's this one was well specced. The only direct competition I can think of is the Volvo V90 Cross Country. The V60 Cross Country? No, I think it's big. It's bigger than that. It's it's V90. Okay. Sorry, the on the road price I've now found found the number I was looking for is thirty seven thousand nine hundred and sixty five pounds, and that's the base price. Mm. But you know that's about right for that kind of car. Yeah, and of course it'll hold it. It, it won't be a big seller, 
but it'll be popular secondhand, so it'll hold its value. So the monthlies will be particularly low. Yeah, I can see that for someone living in the countryside. Yeah. Who, d- who doesn't need the full full SUV 4x4, but just for the occasional time when the, the roads get a bit icky and that sort of thing, it's just it's just good, you're that little bit higher. And- the, the thing about this is that it's far more of a Wales car or a Perthshire car or a, a, a Peak District car mm. than many proper 4x4s, if you know what I mean. Mm. People are more likely to choose this than choose an X5 in those areas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As standard, this one came with really quite nice cloth interior mm-hmm. called Summit. It had all sorts of bits and pieces. One of the things that amused me about the, the new Passat actually was the fact that at the bottom of the steering wheel, there is a little panel. And they, they seem to, to use that as a way of reminding you what model you're driving. So <laughs> up in the middle of the dashboard, it says Passat. Okay. In the bottom of the, the steering wheel, it says All Track, or when you're in the GTE, it says GTE. So I don't know if they do it. I, I don't imagine they do it for all the models. So I don't imagine you'll get an SE you know, mm. in, in the steering wheel. I imagine it's probably just silver. But certainly for many of them, they, they do that to, to remind you. Dashboard's quite cool. I mean, it's all pretty logical, pretty pretty well. It, it almost all does exactly what you'd expect it to do and where you'd expect it to do it. There yeah. are a couple of bits, like some of the buttons for the modes on the right-hand side of your gear selector, then there are quite a few button blanks, and then all the buttons are on the other side where you can't really see them because the knobs in, because the shift lever is in the way. Okay. And that kind of thing's a bit annoying. It's, it's places where stuff has been done for left-hand drive. Perfect, perfect sense of left-hand drive. Right-hand drive is a bit of a pain. Okay. But there's a nice detail on the passenger side where the sort of air vent alike uh, goes sort of full two-thirds of the width of the car until it meets that, that center binnacle. Another thing that's unusual in this, I mean, this one had this one had the optional uprated nav, the Discover Navigation Pro, uh, which came with a 9.2-inch <laughs> color touchscreen control, 64-gig SSD hard drive, hard drive, voice control, gesture control, blah-de-blah-de-blah-de-blah-de-blah, £2,200. But it was very good, by the way. I don't know if it was £2,200 worth of good, but it was very good. What was unusual was that it actually has USB-C ports, in the deck it's got one at the front of the at the front and then it's got another usb-c port in the hidden in the armrest and in the sort of cubby hole that's under there and it's just it's the first vehicle i've been in where i've seen usb-c ports rather than traditional usb rectangle ports mm-hmm. there was an adapter into the, the the main one so you could you know just still plug in a normal usb but that was that was quite cool one of the other things that that discover navigation pro and some of the other auxiliary stuff including the trailer assist and parking assist is that the ui to control some of the driving assist functions like the road sign recognition the trailer assist any of these things was really cool I mean, that Discover Navigation Pro, I have, I have just made fun of it. But in actual fact, the UI on that was particularly smart and particularly nice. It was a haptic touchscreen. So you knew when you pressed stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still a bit of a gray. There's still a bit of an uh going on about the fact it was that it's a, it's a touchscreen, but it was quite nice that you got a positive feedback on it. And that worked yeah. well and quite subtly. It's one of those things that I'd used it for a couple of minutes before I thought, Hey, this is telling me when I'm doing stuff. But what it does is it moves to a picture of the of the car in a little street scene. 
towing okay. up trailer in this case. Uh, and if you want to change the settings for the distance, your sub-auto stop thing, yeah, you know, when it rams the brakes on for you. And, you know, you could there was a little bit, you could sort of touch the car in front and then you could change the sensitivity uh, of it. Or you could touch the trailer and turn on the trailer assist or turn that off. Or you could touch the speed lo- the road sign there and that showed it. And it was really clear and really good and far better than having to scroll through a huge long list of acronyms and just weird names thought up by mm. marketing departments. It was really nice. Okay, that sounds interesting. It'd be it'd be interesting to play with that over a longer period of time. Well it was, yeah. I mean I I, I Naturally, I stopped and had a good old poke at it because it's it's toys like that that I like. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really cool. It was it was nicely done. I mean, the whole car was nicely done. It was a nice place to sit. It looked good. It, it drove quite well. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna win drag races at Santa Pod in it, but there was plenty of torque there. I think it'd be a fantastic tow car. You know, there's there's expectations with a Volkswagen car, particularly something like the Passat or the Golf. Hmm of what people will get. Are you saying that the Passat met what you were expecting and it exceeded in a few areas? Yeah, I I don't know that I really knew what I was expecting, to be honest. You expect a certain level of quality. You expect it to be um, Mm -hmm. pretty nicely put together inside in a conservative with a small C stylish way Mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'll I'll go for that. The one thing that did get me, though, was, was that it felt a bit, I mean, it was a diesel, but it felt a bit diesel-y. And it's, it's been a long time. It's actually been quite a long time since I've I've driven a diesel that, that felt that diesel-y. Okay. It was nice it pulled, but there was just that sort of, there was a something in the car. And, and I, I only realized after I'd got out of it that, that that had been the case, that there was just that, that bit of sort of, um, I don't know. I think it must have just been a vibration or something that was in there. Because a little bit later on, he says smoothing neatly across i also drove the gte okay so the gte as tom said is expected to be about is expected to make up about 25 percent of of sales and registrations uh, of the new passat okay previously it was about 10 percent, by the way in the previous model so that gives you an idea of you know they're, they're expecting a, a fair old a fair old difference there we drove a saloon one just, you know, to, to mix it up a little bit. Now, I also made a slight mistake in that when I chose a saloon one, we end up again with quite a high-spec one. Mm-hmm. So in this one, there was the same active driving display. So it was all uh, it was all a screen instead of physical dials. And I believe that some of the the, the models lower down the range, stuff like the SE, which is, is going to be the big seller, they have physical dials and a smaller screen. Uh, and stuff like that, and they don't show the 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 sat nav um, uh, right in front of you in in quite the same way. Okay. So there was a slight something something there. Maybe with hindsight, I should have taken a lower spec GTE or something uh, to get more of a difference between them. Well, we'll probably mention that when we do your report card later, Alan. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, so the biggest differences, funnily enough, between the saloon and the the and the all track were were in the size of the boot. <laughs> Uh, and in the drivetrain. I was feeling very literal when I wrote some of these notes, wasn't I? The drivetrain, drivetrain the GTE, is 1.4 petrol, driving the front wheels with augmented by an electric motor, obviously. Uh, That gives, uh, in total, 218 
metric horses, which pull it to 0 to 62 in about 7.4 seconds. Okay. The thing is that it is completely undramatic when it does it. This has to be one of the quietest, smoothest drive trains I've, I've tried for a while. It was the power source, the, the shift between it being petrol and it being electric was almost undetectable. Okay. It is such a small petrol engine compared to the amount of oomph it's getting from, from the motor. So this is a hybrid in the sense that it can run a different. Uh, it's a plug in hybrid. Yes. Well. Okay. Yes. So it right. is not so a self charging hybrid. No. And it's not one of those that is a hybrid as in it gives extra boost to get over turbo lags and things like this. This is actually no, no, no. It will run it's in electric proper. only mode. It will run in a mix of the two yeah. and all that uh, stuff. Which is okay. exactly what I'm going to say next. So there's E mode, which will hold it in electric. Uh, and in electric, as Tom said, you get 30 something miles. Mm-hmm. Pure electric driving. There's hybrid mode as its normal mode where it will switch back and forth. Uh, it will run in electric up to about 60 miles an hour. Okay. Uh, so electric is not just something to get you rolling and then switch off. Uh, and that's, it will be accelerating as it does that. That's not sure it'll cruise just on electric, but which it will do as well. Okay. Hybrid mode is normal uh, and that just lets it do its stuff. E mode holds it in electric. GTE mode <laughs> is the equivalent of sport. Okay. It uses the electric to boost the petrol okay. engine more. It's far more of that uh, hybrid for performance rather than anything else. All right. uh, if you are in hybrid mode, you can also set battery hold. So you can say, well, don't let the battery go below 90, 80, whatever percent, so that whenever you get to your destination, if it's in the middle of the city or somewhere that the, the it would that you would be better off, you know, you would get more benefit from being in, in e-mode then it will hold up until then. Uh, it'll hold that up, and then you can shift to E-mode when you're within range, uh, when you're you know moving into central London or wherever it is that you're going. And then you can uh, – that'll be you. You're essentially an EV for the end of it. So you can get it to, to cling on to your charge as, as long as possible. Mm-hmm. The one difference, it seems, with a GTE is that you do lose out on a little bit of boot space. Okay. Okay. Uh, it makes it shallower. It didn't use up the battery pack in this, didn't use up the whole one. There was still a bit of space underneath, you know, towards the back. So I think the battery pack is kind of f- at the front end of the boot. But the boot floor was three to five centimeters higher than it had been in the estate. And it just, uh, I, I didn't get a chance. I completely forgot, really, to compare with a, with a normal non-hybrid Passat as well, but it, it it's a little bit shallower. Okay, and that's the trade off you get for you know loads and loads of MPG really. Okay, so th- thoughts then. If you were doing lots of miles in a car, this would be a very good car to do lots of miles in a year. So if you were okay. tramping up and down the country, if you were especially if you're going in and out of cities, then uh, this this is very appealing. If you're running a limo, just to, what. Stunned me about this was how smooth that transition was and how quiet it was inside. Okay. Loads of space in the back. Could easily be a taxi. And that's not me being demeaning, by the way. I genuinely mean that. It's that kind of kind of car. Cool. Other than that, I'm sorry, it's a saloon car. A couple of really nice things on the outside. Of course, this isn't I mean it's an eight point five, so it's 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 a point five, so it's a facelift. 
So there are no massive changes to the, to any of the metalwork really, or any of the significant or expensive to change metalwork. <laughs> so it looks just the same as it did before. You'd have to look quite hard to tell the difference. There is quite a nice bit on the GTE though, where the grill is fractionally different. There are a couple of breaks in the, in the chrome slats. Okay. And the reason I've done that is so that they can have the charging door on one side and then it looks like, and it's still symmetrical with the other side of the grill. So it's yes. not one side has a weird door in and the other one doesn't. They've yeah. intentionally indented the slats to, to just make it the same on both sides, which is a really nice touch. They probably didn't Good. have to do it, well but done. it's nice. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's something that was well worth spotting and pointing out. Uh, just a quick question on the GTEs. Are there calipers blue to donate they are the hybrid, do you think? One second, and I shall check on my photographs, Andrew. Well, they are blue. I can see that on the photograph. Uh, yes, they are. That's but why is that specifically blue. for the hybrid? Yes. Okay. Thank you. It's. It, I mean, they're a handsome car. I mean, they're not. No. They're not too flash. They, you know, they're quite a handsome car, and they've they've got they've got hold of the VW Group metal crease machine, but they've not gone crazy with it, and I quite like that. <laughs> you know how there's, there's there's a chap on Twitter who has this this set of tests for a car. The, the perfect car where you could turn up to a number of places in the list. I think it's five places in the list and nobody would raise an eyebrow at them. And there's not many cars that get on it. You know the one, yeah? I, I can surmise what you're saying, yes. Well, this is one of those cars. You could turn up anywhere in this and nobody would raise an eyebrow. Yeah, I think so. You know, if you rolled up to the front door of Glen Eagles, nobody would raise an eyebrow. If you rocked up to Asda, nobody would raise an eyebrow. If you If you turned up to to lunch at friends and go oh oh a Volkswagen Passat oh that's nice and that would be it you know the, you you can't go wrong with this I mean it is it is completely classless car mm. I don't know that I would choose white so you've tried two Passats what did you move on to next two Passats well after that the we I say we because actually I drove with, with uh, Stu Bird from from uh, the gay UK uh, for some of these cars so for the GTE I'm sorry Stu we we teamed up. I know, I know. I've apologized profusely. Thanked him for putting up with me. Actually, there was a bit of a wait whilst we, we waited for, for GTE to be to be free. So we didn't quite drive them in this order. But we tried a Touareg. Okay. Was there enough countryside clear for you to be able to drive in the massive car? Well, there, there was. When I say we <laughs> drove in the Touareg, I, I kind of drove. And generally stuck to wider roads. So we actually tried the three liter V6, which puts out a mere 340 metric horses. Okay. Um, through its eight speed automatic tiptronic box and was in SEL right. trim. So had most of the toys, but not all of them. Okay. Uh, it also had all of the grill, by the way. When your grill is so bad that your headlights sort of poke through the slats of it, that's a lot of grill. But that said, yes. Because, uh, uh, you know, you launched into it earlier on when I said what we'd be driving. That said, remember the Tuareg is the, the demure and quiet member of that particular platform family. Yes. <laughs> you know, when, when you share your platform with the Lamborghini Urus, the Audi Q7 and the, the Bentley Bentayga, then, <clears throat> you know... It's going to be hard to be entirely a shrinking violet, but really it, it is. Uh, it felt fantastically old school. I mean, f that doesn't mean it was slow. Uh, you know, there's 450 newton meters of torque there, 
but it felt every millimeter of its size. Mm-hmm. And not just that, it was kind of old school enough that when you when you brake to a halt, you know, you had the whole bonnet dip <laughs> and then release <laughs> and bob back. And it's just like, whoa. And I put it in comfort mode and it just made that worse. It was like, whoa. It's like your seasick. It was a little bit like, uh, yeah. When you put it into comfort on some of the roads around Brackley, it, it was a bit like driving a waterbed and it really felt its size. You know, there were quite narrow roads in places and you just, you shall not be that guy. So it's not a car for speeding round in, but no, should you not. expect that at something that size? No, no. But if I wanted to, I don't know. This is another tow car job, isn't it? The trouble with this is it ends up having to be a tow car because whilst they they are really pretty good off road, then the the trouble is they're also far too expensive to regularly take off road. You know, you're, you're nudging yeah. on to, well, certainly into Range Rover Sport territory here. The basic price for this is fifty two thousand six hundred and seventy five pounds. As tested, it was sixty two thousand eight hundred and twenty five pounds. Yeah, I wouldn't be taking that off road. No, you'd be thinking twice about it. So, sure, you could use it to cross the desert, but you probably wouldn't. Mm. Anybody sensible wouldn't. So, you know, once again, you're 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 towing. You're a better class of horse box towing and mahoosive double axle <laughs> caravan towing uh, mm. than you are. Uh, let's off road. It's a seriously large family car, isn't it? Is what it is. It's. It- I don't even think it. It's beyond family car. It's not really a family car. Sorry. If you tell me a Range Rover is a family car, it isn't. It's it's moving into limousine st- stage. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah. You know, you are far yeah. more 7 yep, yep, Series yep. and 5 Series. Yeah. Yep, yeah. And, you know, it's it's priced that way, and it's generally kitted out that way. Although, it's kind of funny what stuff is isn't there. Okay. So, high beam assist, for example, that's an option. That's 130 quid. Uh, park assist, including a rear view camera, sensor controlled steering aid to assist parallel or bay parking, and a rear view camera, 550 quid. Rear view camera is not standard. Really? Yeah. Driving assistance pack plus. Something which kind of, st- well, we'll see. It, I drove a T cross, it was standard on a T cross. But emergency assist, front cross traffic assist, predictive pedestrian protection, proactive occupant protection, side scan and traffic jam assist, 990 quid. Head up Mm. display, 1,080 quid. You know, there's lots of stuff there. And you think, wow, okay, these these are, I expect these to be standard on smallish cars. So it's kind of weird place it sits. Is it in the middle of a cycle before... I think it is getting towards the middle of a cycle. So I think that I'm maybe being unfair. You're right. It's like, and that's a really good point to make. Well, I don't think it's unfair because I think that no. I, I totally agree with what you're saying that, you know, there are cars of a lot lower price point that have this stuff as standard. However, you would expect some of this to be standard next time round because of mm-hmm. Euro NCAP if they want to get the five stars. Yeah, well, keyless entry and start, electric tailgate, remote keyless entry and start, closing, operated by a foot, time-delayed electrical tailgate with power latching. Sorry, my my mum's 
six-year-old RAV4 has this, and it's 1,200 quid option on this. Mm. It's it's a bit weird. That said, all of that said, and I've, I feel that I've been overly harsh because I could understand why someone would like this, especially in the aquamarine metallic, £1,180, with Mistral Grigio leather in upholstery. It was a lovely place to sit. It really was, and it it was so spacious uh, in, in the driver's seat. And you... You know, you did the whole. In fact, it was so spacious you couldn't really do the whole elbow on the driver's door thing. <laughs> elbow on driver's door, it's doing one finger because this one. No, there's no fancy steering assist that I can tell. No, not as an option. And you could just sit there and and cruise in it. And when you got three hundred miles, four hundred miles down the road, you're probably a bit less because you know it's the petrol one. Then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but the thing is, I doubt it's any more thirsty than the diesel. Then you would get out as fresh as a daisy. Yeah. And it was a nice... I mean, you would have loved the interior, partly because it was so big and squidgy, okay? <laughs> and Mrs. Winsby would have loved the interior. But also because there was just so much light in there. Yeah. I don't believe... No, no, it doesn't have a glass roof or anything like that, but it was just a nice light colour, large glass house, even though the back was, you know, tinted. Yeah. Which was a two hundred and ninety pound option. That the yeah, exactly. Uh so but but it was still a light and airy place to be and you could spend a lot of time in this and still be very, very comfortable. Okay. okay. So yeah, I think it's kinda of, there were reasons you one could like this. <laughs> and it is actually quite a handsome beast. I know I made fun of the grill. Yeah, I mean, grill, grill aside, the grill aside, and and I presume that 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 uh, is slightly to do with all the chrome on it as well. But grill aside, it is a fairly muted and restrained design. Yeah, C- considering others in that sort of target market hmm. are significantly less restrained. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the platform. They, the, come on, the vehicles it shares its platform with. Well, yeah. At least let, let this alone has the quite a big grill, but it is not an Audi Q7. <laughs> Children get eaten by those. <laughs> well, yeah, quite. <laughs> Nobody stopped me and asked and, and asked me if I was dealing. You know, there's, there's, these are the benefits <laughs> of driving the the, the 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 Touareg over some of its platform, any yeah. of its platform <laughs> siblings. I think. Yeah. No, there was. There, there was actually quite a lot to like that. I feel like I'm being such a moaner, but this this is part of the challenge, by the way, is that whenever you have something for 40 minutes or 45 minutes, it's far easier to be able to pick holes in it, and you don't get enough time to fall in love with the stuff that's really good. Yeah. And I think that – and that's not just – that's not just our reviews that I believe that of, by the way. Mm. The, these – Little short ones are much much harder than 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 having something for a week. It's a taster menu. It is very much. I mean, it's not the sort of full SMMT smorgasbord. No. But you're right. It is. It is a taster menu. It is a little bit of a snippet uh, of what it m- might be like. And and I think that the next car that we're going to talk about, I, I think, fits into that category as well. Okay then. So, what's the next car you tried after that, then, Alan? Well, Andrew, it's funny you should ask. It was a to cross. To cross. To cross. To live it. So we had the Tuareg, and this is the to cross. By the way, all of the keen spotters will know that all of the Volkswagen SUVs start with a T. There is an exception. 
Oh, I wonder if you know what the exception is. You probably will because you listen to the motoring podcast and that's more than enough. Anyway, the next car I drove was a Tacross SE 1.6 TDI 95 PS. What? Metric horses, 95 metric horses with a five speed manual. No, sorry, so 95? Yeah, 95. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a small, it's a medium-sized diesel engine. It's old school. The engine is old school. It's been around a while, that that uh, long. Okay. And uh. the five-speed manual was a far bigger surprise to me. And I'm going to say right here, right now, I think this is going to be a big seller. Not Maybe not quite so much the diesel part of it, but I, I'm amazed. I probably just jinxed it. But there is quite a lot that is likable about the T-Cross. I can tell you what isn't likable first. Okay. The first thing is Postman Pat Van Red. <laughs> it's called Flash Red. Ah. Uh, and it's uh, £275 option uh, over white. But there are many other more attractive, possibly slightly more expensive metallic colours that you can choose, which will look much, much better than the Flash Red. So is the T-Cross the same size as uh, Seat's uh, Attacker? Yeah, it's jacked okay. up polo. Oh, no, the next one down, right, okay. Is it the next one down? Because there's the yep. Ateca and there's the uh, something else, but we're not allowed to drive Seat, so uh, never mind. <laughs> it is not a complete shrink of the Tuareg. The, the, the dash materials and everything in Tuareg were really proper high-end. This is not the case in the T-Cross, okay? There is a certain tack, tack, tack when you tap on the top of the dashboard. Now, People will know that I I I get grumpy with people always going on about the quality of interior plastics and it's not soft touch. And I say, well, why are you driving around with your hand on the top of the dashboard anyway? Why should you care? Yeah, yeah. But in this case, I got in and went, gosh, that's shiny, isn't it? Hmm. And that was really what I'm. I'm looking at the photograph, and that does come across a little bit. It was it was quite a bright sunny day, and it was quite warm by this point. So, but it, it was, it is not the softest, most matte. It is not Vanta Black, you know, <laughs> at the top of the dashboard. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it, it's quite shiny, 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 shiny. God, I can't speak tonight. They used real shins? Oh, no wonder it was shiny. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's got pineapple patterning, by the way, in the dash inserts. They didn't use real pineapples either. It's quite good that they, they, they do describe it as that, because I thought it was like the weirdest take on, um, the weirdest take on fake carbon fiber uh, until I actually read what it was and then looked more closely and thought, oh, no, that's actually quite nice. I quite like that. <laughs> okay. This one had an optional nav system, which gave good USB. Uh, so you ended up with two USB ports in the front and two USB ports in the back. I don't know if that's a direct result of the optional nav system, but I was really impressed by the generosity of power sockets and energy energy spaces that you could have that is because the person who allocated them has children modern children yes quite <laughs> it's got a decent sized boot it's not exactly the most luxuriously finished uh, back there but the one thing i did notice was that the and this is something that i if you've heard our 3000 our Peugeot 3008 review uh, i'm now paranoid about i did make sure that the boot was dual height and it is there's a good <laughs> four inches in there where you can drop it right down 
there isn't a spare wheel. There's just a little pack with a, an inflator. So you might as well just drop that floor right down unless you've got the, the seats folded, uh, in which case it's it's deeper, so it holds your shopping better. All these cars, by the way, have uh, curry hooks in various qualities. Uh, from the Touareg, it's, uh, you push it in, it clicks, and it goes whoosh, and just swivels out. Uh, certainly in the T-Cross, it is just a molded-in bit uh, at the back, but there are still curry hook yeah multiple curry hooks one on each side uh, which look like they've got a good quite easily take the handles of a bag for life you know without without okay. being an issue you made fun of the 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 uh the power output and the five speedness of the manual box in this it's quite a flexy talky little engine and you can just snick it between gears i thought the gear shift actually was really particularly good and it was just a delight to drive it really was. You could just flick it along. I wasn't on quick roads. I wasn't on particularly twisty roads. Uh, there were some hills. You just nipped it between the gears to just keep it in the kind of power band. Mm-hmm. And it was a perfectly delightful thing to drive. I don't know that I'd want to take it long distances. Okay. But I could completely understand why people would buy one of these. Do you think it's uh, you're going to see a lot of them in sort of more urban areas? Yeah, suburban areas, yeah. 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 Or places where, I mean, I don't believe that there's a, a four wheel drive or a fancy diffed version. Or places which are villages near town type setup. Yeah. 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 It's dead easy to get in and out of. He says like an old person, but that's important at the minute. The spec is just about right. You know, you've got manual aircon, you've got all the stuff that you need okay. in there electric windows or ground, all that kind of stuff. I don't don't know why it wouldn't be successful. This one here, this one had the winter pack. So it had heated seats as well, heated washer jets. Okay. But uh, it was 300 quid, I think, for that. And it was, it was quite a nice car. You you could have one of these and you could, you could live with it quite happily forever and ever. As an enthusiast, you wouldn't choose it. But it actually snicked along quite nicely. Yeah, but enthusiasts don't enthusiasts don't pick SUVs. No, I know you for, for the no enthusiast would choose a T Cross. No, no. You're, you're picking it for other but, other criteria okay. has right. overridden that decision, hasn't it? Let me be right. Let me be better. Right. If no, no, but got, this no, no, no. Because what I was going to say, these, if you right, better example, if you got one of these in the higher car lottery. And you were just pottering around, you would be quite happy with this. This would be a win in the higher car lottery. Okay. I think. To me anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I quite like I I, I if someone said should I buy a T Cross, I would have no reason to say no. There's no obvious fundamental flaws with the vehicle or anything like that. It will it will do the purpose it is designed to to you know, the criteria it's designed to meet, mm. it will do that perfectly well. Yes. I believe so, yes. Okay. Speaking of cars with criteria, last one, other end of the scale. <laughs> I had never driven a Golf GTI before. Okay. Okay. I, I confessed this and everyone went, what, really? I was like, yeah, don't get out much. I've never driven a Golf GTI. So what I did was I drove the Golf GTI TCR. So TCR is named after the race car on which it is based. It is a Volkswagen Golf GTI. It is 
it's it's a bit nuts, really. So it's got a two-liter four-cylinder engine. Let's run through some of the spec on this, and I'll let you work out whether I liked it or not. Uh, put out 290 metric horses uh, from that two-liter engine. It has a seven-speed DSG. It's front-wheel drive only. It has a mechanical limited slip diff uh, at the front. It can be acquired with silly graphics down the side. It uh, tops out at 155 and has 0 to 60 of 5.6 seconds. And it comes with, well, this one certainly came with an awesome Akrapovich exhaust as well. <laughs> do we Do we collectively think that I like this car? Possibly. It was stonking. <laughs> Sport mode was super firm. It was firmer than the GRMN. And, you know, it's, it's got a DSG box, so you could do the whole full, you know, floor it and then slur all the way up, just like the chavs around here do. <laughs> and it, all the way. And then it, it pops on the downshifts, and it does all that kind of fun stuff. And it came with, it comes with Alcantara inserts and kind of tartany played seats and what else? Just, just crazy. And I was in love. I was like, no, no, the Hyundai i30N. I get, this is better than an i30N. This is better than an i30N. Okay, I, so how I much, like how much did it cost so much then? nicer. This is so great. What did you say just there, Andrew? How much more did it cost then than an i30N? As driven, this one cost £41,949.19, or approximately £15,000 more than an i30N. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, you you get a lot. There's, there's a lot more to the car. The, the, well, you know, there is more, possibly more to the car. That's that's there's not a lot more to more the car, than a really, Type R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a li- relatively limited. I mean, it's edition. it's going it's going to be a limited edition E Type One, isn't it? Because it's the sort of. I'm reading through the press thing, and I can't say, and I don't see that there is a maximum number that they're going to build. So, I think the limitedness is limited. Okay. Standard on the road price with no options is thirty six thousand four hundred and forty five pounds. But like this car, you would need to have the GTI TCR performance pack, which comes with seven point five J by nineteen inch Reifnitz alloys with barely legal tires, <laughs> de-restricted top speed to one hundred and sixty four miles an hour, lowered sports suspension about twenty mil, dynamic chassis control. Uh, giving you a choice of sport, comfort, or normal, and goodness knows you need comfort and normal. Uh, this one also <laughs> had carbon fiber door mirrors for four hundred and seventy-five pounds, and the side decals that I like so much, five hundred and fifty-five pounds. This one also had a uh, tracker fitted because you know one can imagine it may end up getting pinched, and was uh, pure grey, so it was a kind of f- I wouldn't say flat metallic grey, if you get what I mean. Uh, Six hundred and twenty quid. It was amazing, all right? <laughs> it was amazing, but wow. I was I was in love with it until I got home at night <laughs> and, and opened up the press pack, and I was like, whoa, how much? Yeah. No, I, I loved it. Really liked it. Really chuffed. Uh, I, I liked that a lot. Well, it's, it's not a bad first GTI to drive. 
<laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Absolutely delighted. And, and you know, yeah, I got back and it was like a flipping Cheshire cat, wasn't I? I walked in there and said, how did you find it, Alan? Oh, I think I can guess. Ear to ear. And it was ear to ear for a good half hour afterwards. So I, you look at the price and you think, well, actually, what's that got? You know, compare that to the, uh, to the Renault Megane at 52 or whatever it is, mm. you know. And it's, it's not a million miles behind that. Okay. But significantly cheaper and, and completely drivable all the time. That's the thing is that not only could you do, uh, you know, shabby full bore stuff between the speed bumps, but you could also drive that. It, it would pass the airport test as well. Okay. I don't have a doubt about that. No, I, I, I liked it a lot, but whoa, 42 grand, huh? <laughs> that's all for the cars before we finish up there was another bit of a chat that i had with with tom before we finished up because there was some stuff that we've talked about recently on the show uh uh stuff like the the rebranding some some more sort of general uh, volkswagen bits what id3 means all these kind of things which are, i think are really interesting and they don't weren't podcasting themselves but we had a bit more of a chat uh, about some things. Uh, I got put right on 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 a few of my opinions as well, uh, so I wanted to in, to to include that. So there's another couple of minutes, only another only another few minutes uh, of the chat between Tom and I. So what we'll do is we'll slide to that just about now. One last thing uh, before I let uh, I let you go, and that's quickly the new logo because yes. I was I was a bit dismissive on a recent motoring <laughs> podcast and I made gags about it being easier and cheaper to, 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 to produce and to reproduce on paper and stuff mm-hmm. than, uh, than, than the existing one. Uh, but you actually ran through some of the reasons why it's changed and how it can be used in, in different yeah. ways. So do you want to put me right on that? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, everyone's open to their own view and I think what everyone that sort of hears we're going to get a new logo, oh, what's it going to look like? Well, you know, we've got a long standing history and, it's always going to be a V and a W in a circle. Yeah, you if know, it wasn't it's, that, it's it not suddenly random. going to be a fish or something. You know, <laughs> so it's again, it's a case of evolution rather than revolution. But yeah, as you say, that there are important reasons behind it, and you know, it links very nicely with the with the ID three. Part of the naming strategy behind that is that it's the third chapter for Volkswagen after the Beetle being our first chapter and the Golf being second. This marks the new chapter. So to, to really mark that chapter and the the new dawn of our electric vehicles coming, we felt it was a good opportunity to create a new logo to stand something new. So the logo is cleaner, it's more modern, it's fresher, and it's more digital-focused. We know how important the digital world is these days, and in fact, one of our, our board members' sole responsibility at Volkswagen is to is to ensure that we are thought of more as a software company than just an automotive company. Software in our cars is incredibly important as we go into this era of electric vehicles. So yeah, the new logo is designed with that in mind, that we can ensure that it is able to be reproduced across all platforms. We've changed our corporate identity. We don't have a brand claim anymore. We've got a sound logo. So, yeah, it's part of a really big change that, as I say, we'll we'll adopt the logo properly in the UK on the 26th of September. It's part of the global rollout, and you'll be seeing it a lot more from them. But, yeah, there's a lot of significance behind it, and it was designed in-house as well. And as you can see, it does hark back some of our logos from the 60s, etc. There's that clear link to our heritage, and really we think it's a clearer bolder, more recognisable logo than before. When you see that, you know, immediately. Yeah, that's you were, what's You were saying about the colour of it. And, mm. and of course, yes. Well. No, that's that's another part of the thing. Is, um, we want to be more fun and use logo in different ways. So it's it's not just going to be one colour. 
I think you'll probably see the, the dark blue version the most, but you know, there's a light blue version, there's a version for using on a dark background that's white, and on our cars it'll be different as well. So all of our electric vehicles will carry a white logo. All of our internal combustion engine vehicles will carry a silver logo, and it's been suggested that for the GTI we'll actually use a red logo. So, you know, who knows where it will go from there. Germany won the World Cup again. You know, who knows? We could see a, <laughs> a German flag on the logo. You know, so, um, yeah, it's it's exciting for us not to be bound by, you know, one logo and different rules about how it can be used, where it can be used. It's a lot freer now for us, so you should see much more freer, open uh, Volkswagen from now on. Awesome. That's great. Tom, thanks so much for your time. No, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. No problem. Dragging you away from the coffee and the cakes. No, no problem. I don't touch coffee or cakes. You're not dragging away from anything. (laughs) Just being polite. Thanks very much. No, you're very welcome. One thing we mentioned in there was the new audio identity of Volkswagen by the German voice of Scarlett Johansson, no less. So before we finish, in, in 10 seconds... Here is the voice of the actress Louise Helm. Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Yes, there we go. And that pretty much rounds it up for this. Okay. I, I think we've, we've covered an awful lot. This is going to be a far longer podcast than I was expecting, to be honest. Yes. What yes. do you expect when you get half an hour of chat plus a review of five, five cars? But never mind. Hopefully you found that as interesting as I did when I was there on the day. Before we go, really all that remains to be said here are some quick thank yous. So so thanks to uh, Mike and Tom and Louise and Jimmy and Michelle uh, and everyone else who was there on the day uh, for their, their hospitality and, uh, you know, answering questions, agreeing to be chatted at. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was really good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anyhow, as far as it goes with us, don't forget to show and next time you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people feel, and this would be very unfair, but if they do feel that you may have missed detail or two about Volkswagen and the cars that you drove, albeit briefly, what is the best way for them to get in touch and pick your brains even further? (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Uh, But it's best to use Twitter where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, We'll be back next week, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.